Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. In this episode, I'm talking to Braden Lawson. Now, Braden is just one of those dudes that I ran into because I run into different people at, uh, you know, every day. I, as a structural engineer, as a former home inspector, I'm out at a different place in a different city every day talking to different people. And Braden is, is one of those guys. Sometimes when I run into somebody that I think is just captivating, I'll, uh, I'll talk to him a little bit about uh, things besides inspection. Uh, Braden is a real estate agent and an interesting guy. So based on that much information, I invited him to, um, to be interviewed for a Manalyzing episode. What I learned and what you will learn in this episode will raise your eyebrows. They raised mine. Here's a man who will surprise you. I know he certainly taught me a thing or two, but I'm glad I met him and I'm glad I got him on an interview. Here we go. Great. Tell me, tell me about you. Oh boy. Where to begin? Yeah. <laughs> I was born at zero years old. Uh, born and raised in Salt Lake pretty much most uh -huh. of my life. So Utah kid, um, now living in my fifth county. So. Okay kind of jumped around Utah. Uh, my parents are in their third home, though. So they've pretty much... Yeah, they've, uh, they've pretty much stayed for 25 years, so... Yeah, I actually uh, was born and raised, and my parents died all in the same home. I, I just figured it was a thing, that that house was them, and they were that house. A lot of people. It's I've had a couple listings, fifty and fifty nine years in the same home, right? Uh -huh. Tell me, uh, tell me about uh, you know about you and uh, why you choose or why you've chosen to be you. Oh man! <laughs> so yeah, Salt Lake kid, thirty two. Um, always kind of been a people pleaser, I guess. Uh -huh. I enjoy helping other people. Um, and even recently, looking at myself and my life, I like to save people, oh, specifically, you which like, is a problem. That is a problem. I've got right? the same disease. <laughs> so um, if you're always aiming to please the other people around you, sometimes you don't take the best care of yourself, right? Or you give too much of yourself. Well, and in my case, sometimes you swoop in and help somebody, and it turns out not to be help. You can't help somebody that doesn't want it. Right. right. Or there are definitely those that will take and take and never really want to do anything for themselves either. How do you have those blunt conversations without offending someone? Mm -hmm. Of course, as men, right? Oh, that hurts, so I'm going to get angry. Right? That's kind of our... Right. Um, this is actually... So this just took my mind to a place. Okay, let's go to that um, place. And conversations, recent conversations with a couple different friends who, you know, the, the macho real men don't cry. Right. Where I guess I'm the opposite of that, where I feel like you have to be a real man to let yourself cry. Oh, yeah. Right. To let yourself feel the emotions and to take those. But, but yeah, so that kind of ties into who's on the other side. Right. 
how does your buddy, how's he going to take it? And it's not an easy conversation to have. I guess I'm somebody that I've lost friends because of the blunt honesty. Uh And that's one of those I'm like, you know, either they'll come back later and go, man, you were right. And thank you. Uh Or they weren't supposed to be a friend. Right. Well, it's one of those things too, where we've got to develop a relationship. Um, to the point, a trusting relationship where I could go to you or you could go to me and say, look, I'm thinking about getting a divorce or I've got a porn problem and I'm afraid it's going to ruin my family. Uh, How do you go to somebody with that level of stuff and then ask the person on the other side to be able to be, be able to listen? I mean, listening alone is tough, but... You know, the person on the other side then has to not only just listen, but he's got to somehow provide input. That's a whole lot different than talking about football on Sunday. Oh, yeah. The emotional responses, the opinions, right? Even as you're telling someone something like that, you're having those responses where, yeah, the football game triggers some emotional response too. Uh But it's not that same deep... It's deeper, right? It's yeah. My uh, I I know somebody closely whose son, in their family, they like sports, and the way they described it at the funeral, I'm kind of giving the end away. They like to talk about sports. They like to play sports. They like to argue about sports, and and then they, you know, if it's about sports, that's what they're talking about. One of the, one of his kids committed suicide just barely. And apparently the discussions about sports gave nobody any clues that he was going to do that and gave him no support against doing that. So there's got to be more somewhere. Uh, Have you run into, in your experiences, anybody who's come to you in a dark moment and, and said, look, I've got this problem? Oh, definitely. Definitely have. Um, I don't know. Suicide, of course, is more common, I feel like, today than it has been. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely have had friends. uh, I have a good friend that just has not been cutting for six months or so. Has not been cutting. Cutting. Yeah, so So that's an improvement. So has stopped, but yeah, like... He calls me late at night. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Well, I'm just sitting here, right? Needed something to do. <laughs> so other than, right? So, um, yeah, I guess being that support there. So he comes to you. He does. He goes, he calls you and says, I need something to do besides cutting. He calls you. Why? Uh, he knows I'm probably still awake at, you know, one in the morning and will answer. Uh-huh. Um just being the fact that he knows I'm probably going to be there. Uh-huh. I guess. Um, he knows you probably won't mind getting the phone call at one in the morning. Right. And I'm guessing he probably knows a little more than that about you. He's uh, He knows that you're not going to uh, freak out and tell him he's an idiot. How do you respond? Uh, usually it's just you simply need somebody to talk to, right? So it's good conversation. Um, I, of course... It, it's one of those things that it, it is difficult 
mm -hmm. to talk about, right? So, um, I, I guess I haven't been able to be real. I haven't been necessarily real direct. Like, hey, like, quit being an idiot, right? Uh -huh. But telling him, you know, I hope you don't. I hope you find other things to do. Just like kind of trying to be positively reinforcing. Um, telling him, you know, like asking, like, hey, like, have you had, right? You haven't, have you? No. Uh -huh. Okay, good. Like, I'm proud of you. And trying to, I don't even necessarily know how to address it, right? That's one of those things. Like, one of those things. It's uncomfortable, like, kind of knowing who he is. I somewhat know how to address it. But then, if you say the wrong things to somebody that, yeah, you don't want to bring about the wrong emotions in them. Does that make sense? It totally does. And so that's one of the fears. I mean, it's like, uh, hey, dude, you know, this is out of my league. Um, I'm uncomfortable with you talking about this. How about the Niners? And then what does he do next? He goes and cuts. Right. So, you know, I guess for me, I, I had this argument with myself just a couple of days ago, you know, um, a lot of psychologists and professionals will say, we'll send them to us. And I'm like, you know, I had my suicidal years. And I'm like, I wouldn't have gone to a shrink because I didn't think I was that broken and I didn't want to spend the money. And it's very broken to think that I would rather commit suicide than spend the money. Um, <clears throat> but us men are that broken, apparently. Yeah, so basically what I'm hearing is that you're, you, you pick up the phone and you feel the discomfort. You talk to him anyway. What does that do to you? What do you think it does to him? Oh, man, I guess it's a distraction for him is the biggest thing. Uh -huh. um, I don't know. I enjoy the conversations. He's one of those people that there's never a dull moment, uh -huh. right? We could talk for probably nine hours straight. And there would always be conversation. Um, um, it, it's just, he's one of those people that, for me, I just very naturally connect with, right? We have a lot of the same interests. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, there's that, like, politically. Uh -huh. We look at things the same way. We both love motorcycles and going fast. And, I mean, it's... Um, speed will probably be what kills both of us, right? And we both acknowledge it. Uh -huh. But... We've, he always says, I'm not going to let the fear of dying stop me from loving, doing what I love. Right. And that's so like, I mean, I crashed a bike. I spent about two days laying in a bed sore. Like maybe I shouldn't do this again. Uh -huh. And then day three, I was like, who's got an iPad? I need to find a new bike. Right. Like, <laughs> so, and that's him. So, uh -huh. um, just that having somebody that's like me, um, to talk to is awesome. And I don't necessarily have anybody or anything better to do at one in the morning either, right? Like anybody to talk to, anything better to do, hanging out on my phone anyway, probably. <laughs> so if it keeps him from self-harm and being in a dark place, just to have somebody to talk to, great, right? Who do you um, go to when it's you? Oh, man. Um something else I guess I've kind of been thinking about this year is I don't necessarily have all growing up. I always had my 
best friend, right? The person that I was close to that knew everything that I talked to about everything. Uh, I think at this point in my life, it's actually my lender. And (laughs) we live a few blocks from each other. I mean, it's, she's definitely more than my lender today. Mm -hmm. Um, Does she necessarily know everything? She's probably my closest friend and she's definitely got to experience some of the negative, um, went through a breakup last year and she was there through that and the slump that I went into after and everything. So, um, yeah, I have a lot of people, a big sphere of influence, I guess, but real estate kind of makes it difficult even to stay too close to any one person for too long. Oh yeah. You get uh, all up in the financial business and, you know, all the psychological stuff associated with, from what I see as the inspector, you know, some people are used to making $20 decisions, you know, which kind of milk should I buy? <clears throat> or, you know, if you get a, if you get a bigger one, maybe it's, let's go buy this bicycle. Actually, that's a huge one because they're thousands, but you know, that level of decision. Now all of a sudden they're making a five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar decision and it messes people up and we all become, I want to say bridezillas, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, it's, yeah. It's funny too, how people can start over here that the pendulum swings, mm-hmm. right? And some people, it's much more extreme than other people. Um, it's like, okay, this started out so pleasant. So when are we going there? Right. Cause we will <laughs> at some point. So, um, anyway, yeah. So I asked you, um, who, who might, do you go who to do I go to? And you mentioned it's, uh, maybe your lender. I think it's interesting that your lender you're, uh, I'm guessing you're not married, unmarried, uh, no kids, no plans for either. Okay. And, uh, and, and that makes it easier for you because that puts a woman on the table, so to speak, uh, makes a woman an option. <clears throat> if you're married and you're going to your lender with stuff and she's of the female persuasion, uh, that that gets a little difficult. Right. Yeah. And you know, we've, we've, <laughs> we've, we've talked about that. You know, a dude is... Uh, if he can't go to the wife or the girlfriend, and usually he can't, um, for whatever reason, you can't talk to a woman uh, if you're married. And dudes, we suck at this. So you've got somebody else. If you did not have her, who who would uh, Plan B be? Honestly, probably my father. Nice. I think Dad would definitely be number two. Um, I was always a mama's boy. Uh-huh. And uh, my mom's mom, actually, when I would get in trouble as a kid, grandma always lived just houses away, 15 homes down around the corner, pretty much my entire life. Uh-huh. So I'd get in trouble. I'd call grandma. Grandma would come save me. Save me. <laughs> but uh, mom was always my person. And I definitely think my mom was always my best friend growing up. Uh, there were some years, right, the teenage years where... I kind of alienated myself from my family entirely, mm-hmm. but the, the figuring out who you are, right? Right. But um, my mother actually had a stroke at 46 years old and another. So 
there's so much. Oh man. Um, so mom isn't emotionally present anymore. Oh, right. because of the so stroke. she she is she was impatient before, but now she has none. Right, and she was OCD before, which it seemed like was going to go away, but it came back, and it's stronger than ever before. And she's very she has her own emotions, but she almost can't really. There's no empathy anymore. Mm-hmm. Right, that is gone. And I'll go, I've tried to go to her and kind of have those conversations. And it's, that's been hard, actually. Um, Breakup last year, just last March. And yeah, I've tried to go to my mom a couple times and I start talking to her and she's just so like focused on other things or I tell her something, right? And I'm emotional and she's just not there. Okay, yeah, I'm trying to... uh paint the scene in my head so you go to her and you say look i um i'm afraid that i'm going to lose this person or lose a deal or I'm having I'm... a rough day i'm lonely right and she's like we'll just find something to do we'll just hang out with me and it's just very emotionless okay like she doesn't she doesn't connect with <laughs> other people's emotions anymore right just hang out with yeah just just do this now go away yeah, just this, right? Or uh, she loves her iPad, and she does these iPad coloring books. Uh-huh. And, yeah, there was another situation I tried to go to her, and she was listening, but she was tapping away at her coloring book the whole time, and I was just like... And you knew you were in second place at best. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of, right? I was like, okay, well, yes, she's listening to me, but tap, 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 tap. I was like, forget it. Right, I'll I'll go find somebody else, and I think I actually did call. Uh, Liberty is my lender, uh-huh. and I think I went and called Libby instead. And I was like, "Screw this! I'll go talk to somebody that is going to listen, that at least somewhat has an understanding of how I'm feeling today." This is a, I think this is a great case study in how to uh, be that person and how to not. Um, I'm I'm thinking, you know, somebody that's important to you comes to you, and let's use the example you used and says, "I'm lonely." You put the iPad down. You turn and you look at them. Um, for us dudes, that's so hard. And what I find it's so much harder with old dudes like me. Uh, for 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 guys that are you know twenty, thirty something, maybe into the forties, it's a lot easier. Dudes that are fifty, sixty, uh, we're we're done. We're we're pretty much toast. We we're like. That sucks. You're lonely. How about the uh, how about the jazz? <laughs> what do you think about Walker Kessler? Let's talk about that. I'm more comfortable there. Uh, so your mom in the present physical and emotional state. Um, that's Yang. Let's talk about Yin. Why why is your dad Yin? Oh, we understand each other, uh-huh. <laughs> right? We're my dad and I didn't get along real well most of my growing up. Right. And it's the, the because we're just alike, right, we always butted heads. Uh, we're both, my dad's an emotional man. Mm-hmm. He's very nurturing for a father. And that really came from his fa- family dynamic too. My grandfather was the nurturer and grandma would 
whoop you if she needed to, right? So um, the reason we didn't get along is, yeah, like we're, because we're so alike, we're both logically minded, but we're also both very emotional mm-hmm. and uh, wear our heart on our sleeve, uh, show everything on our face, right? Uh, there were there were definitely times when I was a kid that my face got me in trouble just simply by you know, by having uh, it showing it yeah uh, I'm pretty animated and stuff and I mean even with clients right I'm like oh like hopefully they didn't see that face because <laughs> try to control it but there are times I'm like oh boy like anyway so dad dad is. We're a lot alike. We didn't always get along. We butted heads because we're a lot alike. But as I've gotten older, I, we think so much the same. We, uh, My mom and my brother, so I just have one brother uh-huh. as well, four of us. Uh, my mom and my brother are a lot alike emotionally and whatnot. There are issues where my dad and I are a lot alike. And we're both caretakers we're both people pleasers mm-hmm. we give so much of ourselves to those around us that uh, i don't know that i've ever really seen my dad take too much time for self-care right it's always been about his family and providing the roof and the food and anything we wanted and and we were spoiled kids i mean my brother and i grew up pretty well but um Dad and I, mom and brother kind of struggle with dependency issues where dad and I don't necessarily have those. And I don't know, because we think so much alike, now we're close where it's, I just had to get past those troubled teenage years and kind of figure out who I was. And I, I guess something that should be brought up that really is a big part of me is I'm a gay man. Uh-huh. So figuring out, coming to terms with it, mm-hmm. I guess, and figuring out that it was okay and I wasn't a disappointment because I could still be, I don't know, the, the societal norms. Right. Right. I'm 32. So coming out 17 years ago. Okay. Was a different time. <laughs> yes. Than it is today. And it's like there was just a meme. Kids today talking about the 90s. Mm-hmm. It's like me talking about the 70s. It's like, holy crap. But it's true, right? That, um, I don't know. My, my self-discovery began as probably a sixth grader. I hit puberty before all the other dudes, and I grew first. And that's really when my sexuality became apparent to me. Mm-hmm course i spent a lot of years trying to hide it and or like am am i coming out of the closet and now i think i'll stay in right and that back and forth um my friend group changed a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, and many times and it was like all of my i played comp soccer i played hockey and that that was interesting um being in a high school locker room I caught crap from half the team and the other half the team gave them crap for giving me crap. And, um, but yeah, so I I think I felt like growing up, I was going to be a disappointment to my father because I was less of a man. Right. 
Yeah, it's it's in, <laughs> you, well, your dad wasn't gay. No, I imagine it was he like the uh, macho macho man. Pretty handy. Um, I mean, we grew up on dirt bikes and playing sports and fixing things around home. And because we had the toys, my dad didn't have the money to pay somebody to do the home repairs. Uh -huh. So I learned how to do electrical and framing and concrete. And uh, my grandpa, his dad was a carpenter and had a big workshop and stuff too when I was a kid. So I grew up around these handy men who worked hard. My grandparents had a bunch of kids, didn't necessarily have the most. And my grandpa worked really hard for mm -hmm. what they had. Didn't leave much behind, right? So um, I definitely am proud of that because it instilled work ethic in me and whatnot. But yeah, so growing up around these very blue collar, right, as the working class. Right. Um, these hardworking guys, that's, I was like, okay, like I gotta be this, I gotta be handy. I gotta know how to work on stuff. I gotta, and I guess a big part of it was, I don't know, growing up a jock, right? When uh -huh. I played soccer and coming out, half the soccer team became very distant. Uncomfortable with and, you. And yeah. And it's like the dudes that I was having sleepovers with and whatnot, like, We'd have five soccer dudes at somebody's house. I quit getting invited. Uh -huh. And, of course, the church. Uh -huh. um, the, the church culture and the way that interacts with the gay community, that's a whole nother discussion we could go into. Right. Right. But, um, so, yeah, my, my soccer team didn't, half of them didn't want me around in the high school locker room and hockey. There was half the dudes that would tell me I belonged in the female locker room or that I didn't belong there. Don't look at me. Uh -huh. Right. Don't look in my direction. Dude, don't flatter yourself. Right. <laughs> but um, so there was that. But but of course, there were always there was always the other half. Uh -huh. It felt like for me um, growing up in Magna uh -huh. um, West Side. Right. Friday night, the whole town was at the football game. Kind of had that small town mindset out there. Um and I actually changed junior highs in ninth grade. And why did you do that? I was getting in fights a lot out there. Um, it was, I, I guess I never really fit into a clique, mm -hmm. but I definitely had issues with like the jocks didn't want me hanging out with the cheerleaders and the dance co girls. Right. But of course I was kind of in the mix and the, I, I was a threat. I f kind of feel like, um, they didn't necessarily, and especially where I was back and forth, right? Like tell somebody I was gay, but they're like, well, I don't care. I don't want you hanging out with my girlfriend or I don't believe it. Right. Uh -huh. yeah, I haven't <laughs> You're heard just that trying one. to hang out with the girls uh -huh. and, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Every girl wants a gay friend. I mean, my wife wants a gay friend. And the dudes didn't want you around because they still felt <laughs> like you were a threat. They didn't want you getting too close. Uh -huh. So there was that. I don't know. So as I got older, I guess what I came to, the, the thing I have told people is just because I'm gay doesn't mean I need to bend to fit the stereotypes. Ooh, right. Wow. Uh, let's go down all of those roads. <laughs> what does, what does, what does that mean? I wish I was good enough to slice up that sentence and, and take it every direction that it deserves to go. 
let's start with bend. We could be here all day. Yeah. What right? What does bend mean for you? Oh. I guess all your life, you're discovering things about yourself. You're going through things. You're having life experience that then shape the future you. Mm-hmm. Or that you're constantly being molded or bent in different directions, right? Okay. So, so of course, not bending or not the, – the societal belief, and especially 15, 20 years ago, is that the gays are you, – you've got that gay boy voice. You've got that flamboyancy. You've got you're, – you're into fashion and pop culture and whatever uh-huh. right i don't know and that's not you that's not me <laughs> you're not gonna bend that way i, exactly. I get that we we uh, my wife we decided very erroneously to buy a cookie franchise it's been a lot of work and not much money but uh what, what i found is that gay dudes like the concept of working at a cookie business because i guess I don't want to say, I want to use your word bend, but I think it feels like uh, a thing that a gay dude should work at, maybe. It's very artsy, uh-huh. right? And that's the community is very artsy and unique in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Um, but f- fabulous, right? <laughs> Cookies are fabulous. <laughs> so I could see a lot of the community going that direction. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I've hung out with some drag queens over uh-huh. the years and a lot of them make their own clothes right it's like holy crap like you made this or i mean that production right the big hair the big makeup the um so yeah so that but that is one of those things that i feel like is one of the stereotypes right is we're supposed to be very artsy and fashionable and whatnot and um, you're not bending that way i mean you're showing up in a in a yeah. baseball hat and a, and a harley Hoodie. I guess I try to be dip right. No, um, I ride motorcycles and I like cars and I like to be out in the dirt and I'm certainly not fashionable and I can't dance and <laughs> I can't tell you crap about pop culture and I don't love clubbing. I don't love that vibe and crowds and so much of and some of this maybe I just believe is stereotypical, uh-huh. but I feel like it is from your seat. Would you? From from my seat, you know, I've got a uh, a good friend's brother who um, he he completed an LDS mission and um, and then he came out and he was so desperate for for quite a while for what the acceptance that he thought he needed um, that he just got more and more desperate and I think and I haven't seen him for a couple of years now but I understand that he's uh, he's gone flamey and i i get that on on one level it's like if i if i'm not comfortable with who i am and this isn't i don't think it's just a gay thing i think this is pretty much everybody if i'm not comfortable who i am i'm gonna be that on steroids uh, because then maybe i'll feel a little bit better about it my best example of that is my ex-wife um we, we did the divorce, and I thought, you know, as, as we were going through the divorce, I thought she could be a human being because we had kids. 
but um, based on everything I saw, she just believed and understood that if there's a divorce, then it has to be a nasty one, and she has to be bitchy, and she has to be controlling. She has to keep the kids away from me. There has to be screaming and yelling and name-calling. And, you know, and, and I think she just believed that that's what a divorce should was be. supposed to look like. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, you know, without going too far down that road, I've, I've, I've gone down that road in other podcasts, but without going too far down that road today, uh, I just believe she didn't know who she was. So she picked something and went down that road on steroids, even though that wasn't her. At least it was a thing that she knew that people in her position in life did. And um, I I admire you for for knowing who you are and being you. You know, you don't have to go down either road. You don't have to go down the flamer road. You don't have to go down the I'm not gay road. Uh, How'd you get there? Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> a lot of, I guess I, I started to recognize, I probably fully recognized my sexuality when I was 11 years old, uh-huh. but it took me until I was 15 to be out. Okay. Um, and it was that like, you know, I was hanging out with a kid that was openly gay. So people started to figure it out. So I distanced myself. And of course, when people would ask, I well, no, I, you know, and I, the bi, I feel like bi is kind of a transition uh-huh. for a lot of people, right? I'm going to test the waters. Right. Okay, that's okay. I guess I can, you know. So, I guess for me, it was, it, there came a point when I was 15, so ninth grade, I switched schools and I was like, I'm going to change schools and I'm just going to be out. Uh-huh. If people don't know me any other way, those that will accept me, great. Those are my friends. Those who don't, so be screw it. Screw them. Right. Um, I probably still struggled through high school, though. Um, and I guess for me, it's like just because I'm gay doesn't mean I need to right be the stereotype. So just because I'm gay doesn't mean I can't be masculine. Doesn't mean I can't love and getting dirty and camping and fishing and doesn't mean I need to go clubbing or know how to dance. Uh And so just acknowledging that it didn't, being, your your sexuality doesn't need to affect who you would have been if you would have been the opposite. Okay. Right? And I don't know if that really answers the question, but... Actually, I think that that's deep that, that sounds like wisdom to me and i'm processing it right now uh yeah Aaron, your sexuality is what it is and um but you're you're much more than that you don't have to define yourself by that right uh similarly i i've interviewed people i don't know if you listened to jordan hank's uh, podcast but uh, she said something like i have cancer i am not cancer cancer is not who i am um <clears throat> She didn't want to be defined by that. You know, she's much more than that. And I see you recognizing that you're much more than that. It's it's a very small part of who uh-huh. I really am, right? And ultimately, it's a part of who I am that nobody even necessarily needs to know about. Right. It's none of their business. Right. 
And that was something that growing up, right? Oh, this is my my gay friend. Uh-huh. Or this is my friend Braden, he's gay. I'm like, do you really? Like yeah. do you, is that necessary? Yeah. For that's me, it's that's not. like somebody introducing me. This this is my friend. He's uh he's bald. You know? Right. Not necessary. He's old. A little ugly. more obvious, maybe. <laughs> than, uh, he's uh, white. <laughs> yeah. It's, it literally is that, right? Uh-huh. And then there's also this growing up and not not necessarily putting it on the front line. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of living by that don't ask, don't tell. Eh, I don't know. So there have been people that when finding out, mm-hmm. they're like, no, what, really? I would have never guessed blah, blah, blah. You're so much different than all the other gay people I know. Uh Um, I've had some friends who actually have a a guy I called a brother for a while. Um, Really still do. He just lives in Texas now. So our relationship is a little more distant, right? Mm -hmm. But all he's like, man, I've never had a gay friend and I would never give a gay dude a chance. And I feel like a dick now. Uh And we're very, I mean, that's, we got really close. He was definitely like a brother. And, you know, so changing people's hearts, opening them up to not all gay people or flamboyant, flamey in your face, think I need to be, I don't know, pride is something we could talk about and the way, right? let's go out in the streets half naked and scream that we need equal rights, right? I'm a pretty conservative uh-huh. gay man. I share a lot of unpopular viewpoints and stuff even right but they're yours and you didn't adopt anybody's viewpoints because you thought that 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 was expected of you so how did you uh how did you come to be so um balanced in who you are oh yeah so there were definitely the struggles right the you mentioned the suicidal years uh-huh. Um, I, I've lived a lot in my years and started running away at 13, um, kind of dabbled in most of the drugs that are out there through my late teenage years. And I've made many decisions over the course of my life that this is not the road I want to be on. And I'm going to choose that one instead. Um, I've gone to therapy and different counseling through probably a third of my life. Um, I actually went to boarding school uh-huh. when I was 16. Um, spent a year in Provo Canyon school. Oh, fun. So, and honestly, like we could, there's so much. That's something we could talk about too, is like that, the, the board, uh, boys ranch in-house treatment type stuff, because they're under attack. Are there things that happen in those facilities? Yeah. I think there probably are. But as far as I saw, that place saved my life, probably. How so? Right. Um, Gave me structure. It gave me tools. It forced me to slow down and really look at the path that I was on and the things I was doing to myself. And I guess it forced me to look inward, right, and quit deflecting and running from and... Yeah, feeding my body chemicals to distract from. Um, it, it made me address who I was. 
right? That uh, I spent four months in one room. Oh, wow. Basically. Uh, my desk, I slept where my desk was, and when I'd get up, I'd put my mat away, and I'd put my desk there, and that was my spot for four months of my life. Dang. So um, talk about structure. <laughs> yeah. Well, would you say that that structure has helped you arrive at the balanced place that you're at? Absolutely. And yeah. I think it's, I, I don't think with, or without that experience, I wouldn't be, I don't know if I'd be alive, but I definitely wouldn't be successful. Wow. You know, I wish I could go down that road. There's, there's a thousand, there's a thousand roads we could do here. Um, you said feeding your body chemicals. Um, I, I, I think of, uh, of another interview, Todd, man, he's, he's the coolest dude in the universe. Um, but uh, short story, cop, uh, his job was drugs, prostitution, and human trafficking. You know, the easy stuff. So he'd go home after a hard day, and he couldn't talk to the wife. And at one point, she just said, look, too much, can't do it, don't come to me. So he went to Jack Daniels. And uh, that's such a powerful story for me that I, I recounted it just about every podcast. I'm sure you heard it too. But, um, you know, putting drugs in our system, putting whatever stuff in our system uh, to help us manage, not usually the best coping me mechanism. Not at all. So you got past that at the boys' ranch. Uh, what would you say is the uh, are the one or two best gifts you got from from that place that you've that you've used as you move forward? I guess the so mindset. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, the the gal that I worked with there named Jenny was past meth addict and. Uh, she looked pretty rough for her age, right? Like you could tell she'd been through it. And she was a big, she pushed mindset and the power of mindset. And I guess your, your will, your own will. She was constantly trying to make you understand that you ultimately, no matter who you are, no matter what, where you came from, what you've been through, you have the power of choice. And that basically that you can look at every single thing in life in a different light and multiple lights and decide what you're going to make of it, right? So um, I can get a nail in my tire, right? There right. are those people out there that it, that would ruin their entire day. Right. They would have pulled around, over, turned around and went home and... That, that would have been it for them. They would have gone to victim mode. Nothing good ever happens to me. Why can't I ever catch a break? Uh, John Doe probably did this to me. He hates me. I'm going to go slash his tires now. The whole world is out to get me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny, actually. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> it's like, oh, here we go again, right? But but so what? Like, it's one of those things like it's a nail uh -huh. in a tire. Right. I'm not taking them with me when I die. I'm going to go to the tire store and they're either going to fix it or I'm going to be buying a new one. Uh -huh. But so what? Yeah. Right. Is that little, is a nail enough that I should let it affect my day? No. Right. So then that can really 
You can tie that to anything. Yeah, and I'm going to tie that to you going to the uh, the boarding school. I mean, uh, I'm let's paint that picture. There there came a day when your dad or your mom told you, "Hey, you know, you're going to Provo Provo Canyon School for boys." Hmm. You, uh, I'm guessing you probably didn't go, "Wahoo! I'm excited. Let's do this." Oh no. <laughs> what 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 would that what did that day look like? Um, so they actually got transporters to come and collect me uh -huh. because they knew there was no way they were getting there, getting me there uh, without a fight. Uh -huh. And yeah, it took, it took them an hour to get me out of the house. It took them an hour to get me in the car. I fought tooth and nail not to go to that place. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, because of the fight, I got to spend four months in a single room, nice and locked in behind many doors. Right. Because I was a run risk. They didn't think I was going to go. Um, but yeah, so mom and dad actually didn't even warn me. Oh, nice. <laughs> they had to find a time when I was home and call the transporters and hurry and get them at the house so they could catch me while I was around. So you probably, I'm going to guess that you probably felt betrayed, unloved, uh, hated. I was pretty angry. Um, and it, I actually, I mean, at that point, I fully understood why I was going. Uh -huh. um, and it actually started to, I'd removed some of the people from my life that I was doing drugs with. Um, I knew some kids that were stealing cars and were hawk, like chop shop, were taking them and selling them somehow, getting money, and that's how they were getting drugs. And so there was, I had started to recognize that those were not people I wanted to be. And had started to kind of clean myself up and correct some of the behaviors, right? Move in a better direction. So that made me even more upset, I think. Oh, yeah. Because I was like, what the hell? I, I'm doing better, right? Like, now you're, who are the, I basically had two, yeah, big ex-army dudes come and all of a sudden they were in the house, right? And I was like, who are, who are you? And no, you're not taking me. Yeah, so you were, uh, you, you probably felt like, you know, finally I'm choosing better and now I get punished for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was pretty mad initially. Uh -huh. um, I think by the time I was out of the solitary, uh, I'd come to terms with the fact that I probably should be there. Mm -hmm. And mom had a birthday that I got to miss, and that was an emotional day. And... Yeah. What I what I find in a lot of the interviews is that uh, in many cases the person's worst day is often their best day. They just don't know it yet. Uh, I'm going to say that was probably a bad day for you. I don't know if it was anywhere near your worst day, but uh, that was the day that changed your life or began the path. Would you say that's true? Oh yeah. Yeah, that was definitely. The, the mom's birthday or the going, the, I guess. Well, I'm, I'm open to either. Uh, <laughs> the going the is unpleasant. Uh, let's talk about your mom's birthday. What did that do to you? I think that was probably the... I, 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 I know I cried, and it was rough because mom had been my best friend, right? Mom was always who I believed was my protector, and dad was kind of always more of the enforcer. Right. And stuff. I knew if I went to dad and he told me no on something, mom would probably still let me get away with it and or have it or, right? 
And if mom wouldn't, then there was grandma. But <laughs> grandma <laughs> so, is the last resort that always says yes. I, I, I know a thing or two about this. Oh, grandmas. Yeah, you can do no wrong in the eyes of grandma ever. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so who let's let's stay at that uh, day when, so mom, when it's your mom's birthday. What was that like? What did you do to yourself? What was going on in your head? I know I was I was beating myself up because it I'd never missed mom's birthday, right? Like it was that I was definitely still kind of angry because I I was like I should be there, right? Right. You guys put me here. Right. But there was already I guess I don't know exactly at what point I recognized that I belonged there or that I really I should just take what I could get from the place, basically. Um, so, but I think mom's birthday may have had a big part in that. Uh -huh. um, and then I got to spend my birthday in there, too, a month later. Which is uh, um, apparently not as bad as missing mom's birthday. It wasn't, but it still sucked. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So, so what I heard you do um, is you went from you guys put me here to I put me here. Right. And that ownership, uh, and one little thing, I'm sure that's going to translate into, uh, you know, th that brain shift, that switch that gets flipped. That's going to translate into you saying, yeah, I own my life. I'll make my decisions. And if I suck and if I make stupid decisions, my life's going to suck. But it's mine. What Jenny was trying to teach that whole time, right, was that. Own it, right? Uh-huh. It's yours. Your life can be what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And how you look at it is going to define that, right? So that's that's powerful. Uh, mindset, right? If real estate is a great... Um, if, I, if I believe that I can and will have clients and be successful, the business is there. Mm -hmm. If I'm like, oh, the market sucks... And nobody's committed, and and I stay in that mindset. Nobody will be. Committed. You make sure that's true. That's 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 always very true. And again, it applies across life. You know, if we believe something is true, we're going to make sure that it that it becomes true. I uh, another one of the heartburns I've had is I've got another good friend who's uh, who's Polly, and he believes that he is a second-class citizen. None of the rest of us are telling him that. We tell him, look, when we see you, we don't see brown skin. We see, we see you. Um, but because of that, he kind of insists on having low-paying jobs, um, which causes any number of financial stresses. He puts himself in the stereotype. Right. Right. Funny how you can, how you can can take something from this corner of life and apply it elsewhere. Um, and he doesn't have to. The rest of us wish he wouldn't. You know, we're like, you've got your life as well figured out as well as anybody. You just need to let yourself make some money. And But he, if he was the real estate agent, he would be the one saying, yeah, my, you know, the market sucks and I can't succeed. 
So you got past all that. That's inspiring. And, you know, I think I've asked this question before, and I think you've answered it, but I want to hit it, what, a fourth time? It's like, what is your magic sauce so that you can go, yeah, I'm going to be me, and I'm going to be positive, and if there's a nail in my tire, it doesn't have to ruin my day, and if somebody wants me to be X, Y, or Z, I'm going to choose me. Um, what was the switch? Yeah, what, how did you, how did you oh. get there? What, what's the magic sauce? Man, that's, I feel like it's been really a, a work of, it, it's still work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I, I kind of feel like from 15 to now is, 15 is what started the shift. Uh-huh. Is the, the, the being able to be out and just be in that and comfortable with it and not care if somebody introduced me as gay, even uh-huh. right, and just owning it, mm-hmm. um, but it, I don't really feel like there's been one necessarily pivotal moment, right? But I've I've lived that pity me, oh that negative mindset, and I lived it to the fullest, uh-huh. and then. I guess just starting to recognize that you have the ability to shift your emotions or your mindset or, and even drugs kind of maybe gave me some of that, right? Mm -hmm. Is um, there's a lot of talk right now about mushrooms and the medical benefits. And um, I was sitting there one time and it was dark. I was having this horrible, kind of scary i was in this real dark space and i was like "Ooh, like right like i don't want to be here Mm -hmm. but and it was kind of like i'm gonna feel happy i'm gonna open myself up i'm going to it's light and bright and i'm good and the energy of the room the room brightened the energy shifted and i moved myself to this positive side right and i this whole different feeling and mindset. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's better. Okay. (laughs) And then I was like, wait a second. Can, can I go back? And and I was like, okay, dark and scary. Right. And I took myself and I actually played with it where I went back and forth between it's dark and scary. It's light and bright and I'm happy. And I kind of toyed with those two. And it it was weird, right? So emotionally, like mentally, it was this, I'm shifting between the two. Long enough for you to recognize that you could take yourself either way and and that in doing so, you controlled it. You own, at that point, you owned you. You said, you used the words pity me. And you could have gone, yeah, pity me. I'm, I'm gay. I'm small I'm whatever in my case I could say pity me I'm an old fat guy that nobody wants to pay attention to or pity me I'm you know my skin is this color or pity me my dad beat me or pity me uh, I don't have any money and I and therefore I won't make any money or pity me whatever Um, I think your magic sauce is you've learned how to get out of the pity me. I know another one. I, I know a friend who uh, who's like, 
uh, he's struggling. And so we set him up, you know, we, we go, okay, yeah, we love you. We don't want you to struggle. So let's try X, Y, and Z. And his way of, he doesn't want to succeed. Uh, inner, inside his brain, he won't allow himself to succeed. And so his way of dealing with that is he'll get injured. And he's like, okay, now I can't do what you told me because now I've got this new injury. Um, and he's got a lot of them, but he lives in a lot of physical pain. He recognizes it's, it's not physical, it's a brain thing. But for him, he would rather be pitied than successful. And we're all good at that. I'm good at that. I'm like, we all are sometimes. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Until a guy like you comes along and goes, yeah, there's, there's a thousand reasons why I could play the pity me card, but I'm not gonna. It's not going to get me to where I want to be. Right. I'm not comfortable with settling in. I feel like a lot of people have just simply given up. Mm -hmm. Right. They're, they just get up, they go through their, what you know mediocre every day is the same life and they just kind of they've accepted the fact that i'm always going to be lower class i'm always going to write i'm this is what my life will look like because this is what everyone's life looks like and and they just don't ever really care to try to do anything more yeah yeah. That kind of ties into this a little it, bit. It kind of does. But, it, but the power of choice, right? Yeah. Um, and the mindset. And so living that negative uh -huh. and then figuring out that I can do this, this is so much nicer. And that's the, there's fi the figure outable. There's a book. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't read it, uh -huh. but everything is figure outable, right? So, Oftentimes, I'm, I used to be terrible with money. Mm -hmm. Still not great. I'm a lot better. The needs and wants. Mm -hmm. Do I need this or do I just want it? And if I just want it, I'm not going to buy it. Oh. Right? So buying a first home and analyzing needs and wants. It's kind of like the, the mindset thing in some sense. Uh -huh. So um, I, we've, we've taken a, an unusual path on this one. I love it. Uh, but I haven't asked you yet, um, and we might have already been there. I haven't asked you yet, what's the darkest moment in your life? Oh, boy. <laughs> you got a few options? Uh, I do. Um, I guess probably, and this would have been somewhat of a pivotal moment, I guess, even. Mm -hmm. um the the what really broke me out of drugs and that scene was mushrooms mm -hmm. and a bad a really bad trip um i was down i'm about 145 pounds now i'm not a big guy yeah i've got you beat by about 102 pounds <laughs> i'm 5 8 145 uh -huh. uh, was pretty much this size as a sixth grader Okay. Um, when I turned 19, I was 114 pounds, okay. something like that. So I was 30 pounds. I mean, I was skin and bones, right? Um, had been on drugs for a year. Um, I was a mess. So You were what age again? 19. 19. Okay. So, yeah, drugs actually came after boarding school, interestingly enough. Okay. 
But so yeah, turning 19, um, had a bad mushroom trip and, and it was just like, I hadn't had a job for a year. I'd been on drugs. I'd had basically no relationship with my family. Um, and yeah, I, I chose to eat mushrooms one night and I actually ran away from the house that I was at, called were, a sober friend and was like, save me. You, you ran away from the home. house that you were renting. Not You weren't living with mom. Um, I was just, well, it was, it was a drug dealer's house. Okay. It was a source. And yeah, um, I ate mushrooms and actually fell asleep. And when I woke up at four in the morning, the house was dark. I was scared to death. Uh-huh. And I ran away to my house when I went home. I hadn't seen my home in probably 11 months, something like that. But um, that was the lowest, like, that was one of those, like, I could have continued to choose that life, right? Could have stayed in it. Um, and mushrooms made me choose to go home. <laughs> <laughs> and I spent three weeks in bed. Uh, my mom would come kick me out of my bed every couple days so she could change it because I stunk so right. bad sweating out all of that stuff and i basically got up to eat and go to the bathroom and i went back to my bed i had no energy i had nothing left and um it's probably like yeah i so that's your low spot what uh, were you doing to yourself in your head what were you telling yourself um uh, what was it like an i'm worthless thing or uh or what were what were those dark demons telling you? So, I guess I started to dabble. Really, like I don't even know. Um, I was still kind of discovering myself. I guess was still going out to the clubs and partying and stuff with some friends and. Mm -hmm. It was more just, I took ecstasy for the first time and I was like, I'm, this stuff's awesome. I'm going to keep doing this. Uh -huh. So, and I just got lost in it. I think I just, I don't really know if there were really ill or negative emotions or anything. I think it just, I was like, wow, this is cool. Uh -huh. And started going to raves and that's what that year of my life was about. Okay. That was your dark place. Where, yeah, I'd kind of just given up on the the entire, every, every bit of life I'd known from before, right? Mm -hmm. I jumped into drugs and I forgot my family and where I came from. And it was all about partying for a year. Okay. How, how did that work for you? Um, I mean, I guess. Why aren't you still doing it? Oh, I'm lucky I didn't end up catching charges or dead or still really an addict, right? Mm -hmm. um, I did have a friend that killed himself running from the cops because he was certain. I mean, he probably was going to prison, right? And so I guess he felt like death was better than that. Um, had a friend get shot. Um Definitely looked at a couple guns and got robbed and stuff in that time. And it's just not, I don't know. It, I want the big house on the lake, right? Right. The, maybe not the Ferrari, but 
Um, I do love German cars. And if yeah. there are a couple hundred and twenty thousand or hundred and sixty thousand dollar cars, I wouldn't mind owning. Yeah. And I don't know, fast money, like drug money doesn't it goes as fast as it comes and you're never actually gonna get anywhere with it. You're always gonna get caught up. Right. Something will always take that from you. Um just realizing I guess remembering what I wanted out of life mm -hmm. and knowing that that's not what I want to do forever. Um, Let's uh, so now you're the successful real estate agent and I'm not, I'm not going to ask you how many you sell because it's a lot and it doesn't matter, but you're successful now. And how old are you again? 32. Let's give you a chance to go back to some point in your life. And you can decide what age that's going to be, but you're going to go uh, take that uh, DeLorean and uh, and go back and 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 visit Braden of year past. What age are you going to go to, and what are you going to tell him? Oh, jeez. <laughs> there are various ages that come to mind. Right, fifteen was kind of a pivotal moment. Just the like coming out. Um, I don't necessarily regret the life experience of going and doing drugs and experiencing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, honestly, I think if, if I could tell my 20 year old self to buy a house and that it's possible, that would have been, yeah, I would be in a different place today. Why? Uh, net worth. Okay. So at 20, I was afraid to grow up. I didn't want any responsibility. Uh -huh. And I, I really probably, if you would have asked me if owning a home was possible, I'd have been like, are you crazy? What? But my most successful friends are those that bought homes out right out of high school. Right? I've been out of high school for... 13 years, I could have a house halfway paid off in theory. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah. And once you buy a home, you figure it out. Most people do. Well, it kind of forces you to, to uh, square up your lifestyle or you don't have money for the house payment. Right. Tighten up on your spending so you can afford the roof over your head. And then once you spend some time in it and you realize what equity is, uh -huh. and how much that can actually pay you, yeah. right? Uh, my first home I bought right before I turned 26 uh -huh. and owned it for four years, and it paid me 142 grand, right? So that was kind of like, huh, if I'd have held it for another year, it would have paid me another 100, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know? But yeah. been um, there. I, I can't tell you how many years of my life I've been out-earned by the appreciation of my home. And uh, that's that's kind of awesome. That's a big deal. I don't. There's a lot of people that don't really necessarily look at it that way. A house is just a place to live, uh -huh. but it's not. And when you start to recognize that investment, my little brother, he bought his first house at 28. No, 26, I guess probably. Uh -huh. I don't know. He he owned his first home for 11 months and cashed out 90 grand. And upgraded. That doesn't suck. Only in a COVID market would that happen, right? Uh -huh. But uh, so after 
you know, nine months or something. He's like, what would we sell my house for today? And I was like, oh, this. And he's like, no way. You're kidding me. So it's gone up. And I'm like, yeah, it really has. So that was that light bulb for him now where he's like, holy crap. Every time I make my payment. Yeah, you're it's a little bit more equity. Plus, if my house is going up, he's really probably upside down on his second investment. But it also has a basement apartment and it's paying a good portion of his mortgage. Right. So he's like, Man, I'm down, but I'm hardly paying for this. Yeah. Five times the house on five times the lot, and this is great. Yeah. So totally. Yeah, I I I know some people who've made a lot of money. Um Dude named Priz, Priz Bila. I think it's a Polish name. And uh, he would tell you that he's the dumb brother. His smart brother got a PhD and is a professor, and he makes, I don't know, 80000 whatever professors make. And as the dumb brother, he bought houses. And um, many years ago, I asked him what, a, what the total was. He says, oh, it's 11 or 12. And then a few years later, it's like, I don't, I've lost track because now I have a bunch of apartment buildings. So do you count each door or how do you count it? You know, and all he does now is just vacation from here to there. It doesn't have to do anything. He's worth tens of millions. Yeah. Um, we could, we could go down that road too, but, uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. So if somebody, let's say somebody wanted to, uh, get a hold of you so that they could talk about either real estate or learning to be who you are, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, man. Live Salt Lake, Utah is actually my Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and my website. So livesaltlakeutah.com. Uh, phone number's on there. Uh-huh. Honestly, social media is probably the worst way to reach me. <laughs> uh, all that mileage, you know, and uh, call or text me. Uh-huh. That's the best way for sure. Yeah, I, I get that. Braden, thank you very much. I, I think you've, uh, you've, you've been inspiring for me. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's like, it takes a great man to be who you are. And that was, uh, that was my guiding principle for a number of years in my life, is to figure out who I am and then be that person. So I think you've got, uh, I think you've got some great wisdom in that corner. So thank you for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to this manalizing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalyzing. Manalyzing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalyzing.com.